well, I get to finally preach on the woman at the well. And you know why I finally get to preach on the woman at the well? Because he's finally done, I think done for right now, preaching it to me. I can't preach it to you until he's preached it to me. Until it's real to me, I can't give it to you. I could, I could if I was on one little schedule or blah, 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 you know, and we just did. But man, I got, again, I got a responsibility to give you what God wants me to give you. And I can't give it to you until I got it first. And so, you know, I've been dying for about a month to preach this message. So don't get your hopes up because, oh, it should be really good. No, not for that reason, but I finally... I know what God wants me to get out of it, and that's what I want to share with you. i got to see life from God's perspective so I can help you see life from God's perspective, and then we can help each other see it that way. So again, I think I might have alluded to it last week, but uh, uh, I was going to call the message the bad Samaritan. Y'all heard of the story about the good Samaritan, right? So this is the bad Samaritan. How many of y'all can identify with the bad Samaritan? Anybody? Okay, the rest of you should by the end of this message, all right? The rest of you say, oh, yes, I'm the bad Samaritan. No, but it's a good thing. We've got a real, you know, how many of y'all would love to go through chemo treatment? Steve, tomorrow, dude, would you love to just go through chemo treatment tomorrow? No, you're going to pass? Why? It's not comfortable. It's not very fun. It's not, right? What would be the only reason that you would go through chemo treatment, bro? Yeah, you have to know you got some bad stuff there. In other words, any kind of bad, you know, painful, whatever, you got to know. Nobody's just going to, oh, hey, I'm going to, you know, like go to the oxygen bar. I'm going to go to the chemo bar. You know? No, dude. And I'm sorry if that brings up bad memories for some of you because I know many of you have been through it and I've been through it with a lot of you and I know it's a horrible, painful thing. But, but I'm trying to make a point. No one's going to sign up for chemo unless they know that it's going to do them, that they need to. They have cancer. And I'm not saying that's the only way to do it either. If you want to know about uh, uh, what's mistletoe, talk to Rena uh, over here. But anyways, there's, so again, it, it, my point is in this that you're not going to want salvation until you know that you are lost. You're, you're not going to want... Uh, you're not going to want Christ till you know how bad your sin is until you know what the penalty is. So you've got to be lost before you can be found. That, that, otherwise, you know, hey, how many of y'all ever driven around with somebody and you know they're lost? You're driving in a car and you know they're lost, but they swear they're not. Anybody? Yeah. You've been there. Yeah. I'm not lost. I'm just taking it to you. I'll find it. No, I'm not lost. You're not going to look up ways. You're not going to stop for directions till you admit you're lost. And it's the same thing with our salvation in all of this. And so the bad Samaritan, man, she almost has an easier time than Nicodemus, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You know, he was, if you want to be, he's the good Jew, she's the bad Samaritan. But the point is, is that they all need Christ. If you're somewhere between Nicodemus, who is the most religious man to ever live, he was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, he told people how to live for God and swore he was doing it perfectly. But he was empty, he was thirsty, he was missing something, he came to Christ. If you're somewhere between him, or a woman who has been trying to find satisfaction in relationships with men. How many of y'all would testify that you do not find satisfaction in relationships with men? Okay, don't raise your hand. All right, but I'm just saying. She had five of them. And she's trying to find it in marriage. Oh, getting married is going to make everything better. You know, no, no. And, and finally she gave up on marriage. And she's just living with some dude now. And, and she's just like, she's thirsty. The whole world's thirsty. So if you're somewhere between righteous Nicodemus and raunchy, 
whoever she is, if you're, how I many of y'all are between there somewhere? But before salvation, yeah. Man, if you're somewhere in there, you need to be saved. Everybody in the world needs to be saved because everybody in the world is thirsty. Even you believers who have been saved, you're thirsty. And, and Christ is the only one, a relationship, a thriving, ongoing relationship with him is the only way that you're going to have your thirst satisfied. And that's what we see in this story. And that's what God had to preach to me is that we've, even as believers, we are constantly trying to quench our thirst. We're constantly trying to satisfy our thirst with the things of this world. And, and, and dude, it's like a, it's like a McDonald's. You ever, you ever eat fast food? Anybody ever see, what was that movie? Live in large, no, what was it called? Not live in large. What, what was it? Supersize, yeah, dude. And, and they were talking about how all the McDonald's food and stuff, how they make it so that it fills you up, but then you're empty again. You're hungry, and, and honestly, it does bad junk to you, so don't be eating McDonald's, all right? And, uh, but that's what the world has to offer. It's a temporary satisfaction. And, and in fact, as you become addicted to quenching your thirst with what the world has to offer, your cravings increase, but the satisfaction decreases. And so again, whether it's for salvation or it's sanctification, one day we're going to be glorified and we're going to get to experience God in all his full glory and fully be satisfied in him all the time. But man, whatever it is, you need to understand that the world is thirsty. Everybody is thirsty. Look at Stephen drinking over there, man. No, I'm just saying we're, we're, all, we're thirsty for something. You need satisfaction or you can't keep living. And what the point is, is that satisfaction can only come through Christ. And that's what we're going to see in here. And so, again, three things we're going to look at today is everybody needs to be saved because everybody's thirsty. And you've got to realize Christ is the only way our thirst can be satisfied. And once we figure that out, it can be satisfied for how long, y'all? Hey, Steve, how long can our thirst be satisfied now? Aren't you glad you sat on the front row? You're like, this isn't the front row. Yes, it is, man. <laughs> yeah, our, yeah, straight line on it. How long are you going to be satisfied when you drink from his well? Forever. Dude, forever. Man, my wife, she loves cherry Coke. She's addicted to it. Pray for her. No, I'm just joking. But, <laughs> and on our budget, we used to drink Czech Cola. You know, you, you know either the Winn-Dixie or the, or the Publix brand. or No, really, the great value Walmart brand. Hey, did you guys know? Anybody here like Cherry Cola? Anybody Cherry Cola fans? Did you notice that in the recent past, in our supply chain crisis, that all of a sudden this Cherry Coke wasn't available anywhere? It's only available through Coke. Because Coke, we understand, we did the research. We have asked every stockman at Publix. At, <laughs> believe me, I ask a lot of questions. That's why my wife doesn't let me go to the doctor with her. All right? I'm just saying. But, man, I'm asking, and they're like, no. Coke won't sell us the, the formula. They won't sell us the syrup so you can make generic cherry Coke. You know? And if, if you're addicted to cherry Coke, like my wife, no, I'm just joking. She, I don't even see her. Where is she? she? Oh, good. I'll talk real big now she's downstairs. Yeah. No, but... <laughs> But yeah, so, so if you've got a limited supply of Cherry Coke, man, you've got a 12-pack or whatever it is she buys. I don't know, man. You're rationing when you get about halfway done, right? And when you're on your last one, you're like, what's happening as you're sucking that last drop down? 
You're crying because you don't know if there's going to be any more. But what we're going to learn today is with Christ, he forms an eternal spring. It's a well. It never runs dry. So when you learn to be satisfied in him and him only, you can have it all the time, anytime. Coca-Cola can't hold back on the formula and mess you up. Nobody can because it comes from him and it's always going to come from him. And eternally, we're going to, man, we're going to be drinking from the fire hose, dude. It's going to be awesome. So, man, let's jump into this story and you're going to see this. Number one, uh, everyone needs Jesus. Again, everyone needs Jesus. I hope you have Jesus. You're like, well, I know about Jesus. Well, we're going to find out. I want you to compare your life, your experiences to what the scripture says in here. Because again, you know, um, I, I will tell you this, Matthew chapter 7, and you go home and you go study Matthew chapter 7. I'm not going to preach through the whole thing in Matthew 7. I brought it up many, many times. But what Matthew chapter 7 does tell us is the majority of professing believers at the end, when Christ starts separating people, they go to hell. Did you hear me? The majority of people who call themselves the church go to hell. They start getting divided in lines, you know. You read the whole chapter and you see it all unfold. He's talking to believers. He starts dividing in lines. And, and, and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, I'm in the wrong line. Dude, I was in the praise team. Man, I was preaching. But literally, listen to the three things he says they were doing. They, they say, look, didn't I prophesy in your name? Speak on your behalf. Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And didn't I do mighty, mighty works in your name? Who is that, folks? Is that the world claiming to do mighty works in Christ's name? No. Is it the world saying, I'm speaking on God's behalf? No. It's not the world. This is the professing church at the end. They found a form of Christianity, a form of religion that has religion but has no power. Go read in Timothy what Paul wrote to Timothy about that. That's why we've got to know the truth. And, and so the, the church, he says, man, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And, and Christ is over here saying, mm, you said you did it in my name. You said you were doing these things on my behalf, but you and I never gnosko. You and I never had an intimate relationship. So you could claim you did it all for me, but I, me and you never had a relationship, so you didn't. He says, be gone, you workers of lawlessness. So it's important that we look at the Word of God. It's our filter. It's our sieve. It's our paradigm. The Word of God is where we put our life through. We put our experiences through. We put it all through, and we mesh it all up with, and make sure that it coincides with the Word of God. Can you believe everything that you experience? Oh, I know. I experienced this. Can you believe everything that you've experienced? Chuck, can you believe everything you experienced? You ever seen a good illusionist? Dude, no way. That lady, she had swords stuck in her and she ain't even bleeding. I'm like, you know that's not right. You can't believe what you see. You can't believe what you can experience, but you can believe what God reveals to you in his word. Amen? That is our final authority. Everything, especially as we get closer to the end. And I'm not saying it's coming today. How many of y'all would be totally cool if rapture happened right now? Terry, you wouldn't have to deal with dating and your three beautiful daughters right here. Wouldn't... <laughs> Jesus is coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're praying for the rapture, right? Because those boys are hot and heavy. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> Did you do the, weren't you the one telling me, somebody's telling me about they were going to give the date a bullet and throw them the bullet and say after midnight it goes a lot faster. <laughs> right? Yeah. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> Y'all just getting that now? All right. So anyways, he could come at any time, man. The end times are from the time of Jesus' ascension to the time he comes back for his second coming. And we know we're one day closer but what we know is there's going to be a falling away. We know there's going to be a form of religion with no power. We know that there's going to be a one-world government, a one-world uh, economy, and a one-world religion which has to reduce man down, Christ down to a man and not God. We know all these things are coming. We don't know how far we are until the statue with Daniel, yeah, uh, Mac the Dan, uh, Babylon was ahead, Medo-Persia was arms and shoulders, Greece was the torso and the, and the thighs, Rome was, was the legs, dude. How many of y'all are hanging out with Romans right now? Anybody? <laughs> you know, that Rome's gone. So we're somewhere down in the feet, y'all. And as we get closer, it's going to be more and more and more important that you know the word of God. And you apply the word of God and you test your life against the word of God so you don't get deceived. Because in the end, every time the disciples said, Jesus, when give us a sign. Tell us what's going to happen at the end. And he says, the very first thing he says, do not be what? Deceived. Do not be deceived. That's what he says. And the only way you're not going to be deceived is by knowing the truth. It's got to be ingrained in us it's got to be our priority we got to know the truth better than we know instagram we got to know the truth better than we know facebook better than we know anything else is what we've got to know and everyone needs jesus and i pray that everyone here has jesus everyone here at some point in your life you have realized that you're a sinner and there's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin, what you earn from being a sinner is death, eternal separation from God. And you've earned a free trip to hell. But God did not design hell for you. He designed it for de the devil and his demons. And that's why he made a way for you to not have to go there. And it was Christ living a perfect life so he could take your imperfect life and give his perfect life to you. But you surrender, it's what the word believe. John 3.16, how many of you know John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only, so that whoever, what? Believe. Believes in him will not perish. That means you aren't going to rot like, oh, you're not going to rot like food out left on the counter, and you will have eternal life. So that word believe means to put all your faith and trust in. Dude, all your faith and trust. Hey, bro, what's your name, man? Rob. Rob. How much faith and trust do you have in that chair right now? Yeah, dude. Did you check it out first? When, when you walked in, did you, hey, did, what's your name? Are you his wife? Did, did you see Rob going, oh, I don't know. Let's try this other chair. No, you just had faith and put it in. That's what faith in Christ is. That's what it means to believe in him. Dude, if that chair were all of a sudden to let you to, to turn into marshmallows, what would happen to you? Yeah, dude, at least you land on marshmallows, but, <laughs> but I'm just saying, it was, yeah, all your faith and trust is in it. That's what he's saying. When you believe in him, you put all your faith and trust in him. You sell out to him, and then you will never perish, and you will have eternal life. So everyone needs Jesus. There's nobody exempt. The most, we, 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 yeah, this lady, she's got five husbands and a, living with some dude. She needed but so does Nicodemus. He needs it, and everybody in between. So let's take a look at what Scripture says here. Now, when Jesus learned, so Jesus was up in Jerusalem in that area with the Pharisees and all the religious guys, and they were kind of checking him out. He'd actually already turned tables over once, 
uh, he had had conversation with Nicodemus and told him about being born again and all of that. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees were kind of trying to cause trouble. Can you imagine that? Religious people trying to cause trouble. And, and they were trying to cause trouble and shake things up. They were trying to get, you know, John's disciples against Jesus' disciples so that they would all, like, fight. Hey, do you guys know this? I saw this with Abraham and Lot this week. When believers fight, unbelievers have a ringside seat, and they lose their credibility. Somebody needs to hear that today. And, real, and, and, and pick and choose your battles and see if that fight's all that necessary. When unbelievers fight, or when believers fight, unbelievers have a ringside seat. They're looking for some way to say, what you got is no better than me in all of this. We're supposed to show them what a big God can do in our life. By the way, that's a little extra land yap right there. So that's what was happening here. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Did you guys know that Christianity is competition? Tom, did you count how many people are in here? Because we have, to, we, uh, we have to compare ourselves to all the other churches and how many people showed up today. I'm glad y'all showed up. I didn't think anybody was coming today. I kept hearing texts that, oh, we're not coming, we're not coming. I'm joking. It's not a competition, but so many people make it into a competition. And the Pharisees knew that people like competition. They could use competition to divide people. So when Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples did, he left Judea and parted for Galilee. So Jesus saw they were getting ready to pit one team against the other, and Jesus split. He decided to go back, or go back up to, which is down, but up to the Sea of Galilee, up in that area, which was kind of where they were going to make their home base. He was headed up that way. And, but let me ask you what, what was the real reason, what's the real reason that Jesus left Jerusalem? Where, where's one of my guys that, what's our answer always? God. That's the reason he left, because he didn't do anything except if God the Father told him to do it. So God the Father, I mean, he could have, look, dude, there could be revival in Jerusalem. Look at all these people that are, man, you could reach them. You could talk to them. You're probably going to get in fights with Pharisees. All these people. What would the world and the world's marketing system say? Stay in Jerusalem. But instead, what God did is God pulled them out, maybe saved some fights, want time for things to be revealed. But where did he take them, guys? Y'all know the bad what? Samaria. He took them to Samaria and to one little woman at the well. What a horrible marketing plan. What a horrible business plan, but what a phenomenal kingdom plan. Amen? Make sure you're in the Word of God so you don't get sucked into this world's marketing plan, even in the church. You've got to have God's kingdom plan. Who knows what God can do if, if you take somebody out of this big crowded place and you reach one person in Samaria, what you could do in that whole area, and even if it was only her. Bob if it was only you that was ever going to get saved, would Christ have died? The answer is, yeah. Man, you're that important. So, man, it ain't about numbers. It ain't about all, that, all of that. It's about doing what God wants to do, and God is way smarter than anyone else. So he left Judea and departed for Galilee, started taking off to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. All right, here it is again, uh, Steve. He had to pass through Samaria. Why did he have to pass through Samaria? God, yes. Everybody, why did he have to pass through Samaria? Yeah, he had to leave Jerusalem because of? God. He had to pass through Samaria because of? 
How many of y'all have been like, God, this doesn't make sense. Why are you taking me from here and putting me in here in this little podunk place? Why, 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 why? And y'all ever, aren't you glad, Connie, you don't ask why? You ever ask why? Jeff, you ever ask why? Yeah, well, stop. I'm just saying. (laughs) And you're a mirror. I'm saying to me, stop. Just obey. Man, how many of y'all are smart enough to understand God's plan fully? (laughs) How many of y'all ever had kids ask you why, 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 and you just refuse to tell them because you know it was like, (laughs) they're not going to get it and they're going to argue with me anyways. Just do it and watch it happen. And your kid, hey, Destiny, that little baby, that precious baby, is closer in intelligence to you than you are to God. (laughs) Is that crazy? (laughs) And even the most intelligent of you all, God's thoughts are way higher than our thoughts. Man, what a privilege to be able to serve and worship and have a thriving relationship with the one who knows everything, can do anything, and that's everywhere. Is there anybody better to invest into a relationship with? No. He had to pass through Samaria because God said to pass through Samaria. Even if nothing happened, he was obedient and did. He wouldn't have had a righteous life if he wouldn't have done that. He had to pass through Samaria, but God had a plan. So check this out. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son. So this is pretty important. At Jesus' day, Samaria was messed up. Samaria, the Jews hated the Samaritans. I'll tell you why in a minute. But back in the day, this was an important area with Jacob and Joseph and all of this. What happened? Well, if you guys go back and you go back to David being the king, when David uh, died, his son, who, who was his son that took over, y'all? Solomon took over. And Solomon started out as the wisest man in the world. And then he blew off all the wisdom that he had. He quit doing what, it, uh, what God wanted him to do. He quit asking God, what do you want me to do now? And do it. Here's your spirit-filled life, guys. What do you want me to do now, God? And do it. What do you want me to do now, God? And do it. Hey, Barb, what happens if all I do is, what do you want me to do now, God? What do you want me to do now, God? What do you want me to do? Where, where am I going, Barb? Circles, right? What if all I'm doing is, I'm doing this for you, God. I'm doing this for you. I'm do- but you never ask him, where are you going? Circles, right, Abby? It's like paddling. Do you paddle with one arm when you're surfing? What do you want me to do, God? What do you, no, you never catch a wave, unless you're Bethany Hamilton. I'm just saying. But, but what do you want me to do now, God? But it's what do you want me to do now, God? Do it. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. And you just keep paddling, and you get where he wants you to get. Man, that's what your spirit-filled life is. So, so what happened was Solomon quit doing that. All of a sudden, he's like, hmm, I better marry this girl so we can have an allegiance with this country and we won't have to worry about being attacked oh hey we're maybe going to get attacked by this country i'll marry this girl who's the daughter of the the king and then we won't get attacked how many times did he do that y'all anybody know a thousand times yeah how many days would that if he married one a day that's a long time think about how long it would have taken to marry a thousand women only for the purpose of, of of political reasons so he wouldn't be attacked So for years, Solomon blew off the wisdom he had, and he married ungodly women. Now, one, how many of y'all guys would say, man, I don't need anyone other than the beautiful bride that God gave me? Amen. Thank you for raising your hand there. Some of y'all missed some brownie points right there. I'm just saying. 
Or how many of y'all were thinking, what an idiot. I can't even handle the one he gave me, let alone a thousand. It could go both ways, all right? You could have raised your hand on the first one and covered both of those. But in that, man, think about that. He married a thousand women for political reasons so he wouldn't get attacked. Did he need to do that? No, because who was protecting him until he got out from God's umbrella of protection? And God said at the end, he's like, look, Solomon, you have really, because not only did he have all these women and setting a bad example, and, and if you got a thousand wives, how concerned can you be about a kingdom? <laughs> Mama ain't happy. No, I'm just saying a thousand of them, dude, he's, I would not even want to wake up in the morning. <laughs> I'm just saying he can't be a king, the wise king he's supposed to be in all of that. But guess what each one of those thousand women brought to a nation that was supposed to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and all their strength. Guess what each one of them women brought? Another what? Another God. Oh, aren't you glad you don't bring any other gods into your life? They just, <laughs> there are no gods. Why? We've been talking about this in, in, in our Bible study on Wednesday night. The very first commandment was, have no other gods beside me. Hey, why don't you have any other gods beside them? Anybody? Chuck? There are no other gods. There are none. So, so don't, don't even pretend there are. Have no other gods beside me because there aren't any, right? But now there's a thousand more gods with their temples and their Asherah poles. And, all. and so God said, you know what? I promised David. That's going to make this kingdom succeed. But after him, y'all are done, bro. Y'all are done. And God destroyed Israel at that point, and they split, and there became 10 kingdoms up in the north, and then there were two kingdoms in the south. Now, let me ask you a question. When is it too late to repent? Uh, Yes, thank you, Gary. Yeah, yeah, because once you die, it's kind of too late, all right? I'm just going to say for those y'all saying never, all right? (laughs) Yeah, you're right, when you die. They could have each repented, and Judah, Judah, the two little kingdoms down south, could, they sort of did. They tried, but the ten kingdoms were like, no, they just went full on, had the most wicked kings, had the most wicked setups and everything, and, and, and they kept worshiping. Uh, uh, and then Assyria came and took over and conquered them. And Assyria took out a whole bunch of Jews and put them other places, and they moved in. And then the Jews and the Assyrians all married and intermarried and brought in their own gods. And it got to be a godless mess under wicked kings like Ahab and stuff. Wicked kings. And down in the south, they're like trying to stay Jewish, trying to stay right. And they didn't do a good job. But it was during that time that they said, man, you guys are messed up. And that's why they hated the Samaritans. Because they were craft breeds, they were crossbreeds. Dude, we're, we're, we are here to bring the Messiah into the world. And they mistook that in thinking we're the only one who gets the Messiah since we bring him in. We'll see that in a minute. But they're like, oh, you blew it. You guys are messed up. And they were messed up. They were messed up. That's why it's so beautiful to watch Christ come and fix people who are messed up. How many are grateful he comes to fix people who are messed up? And for the rest of you that don't think you were, (laughs) you may still need to get saved. I'm just saying. you got to realize you're messed up to know that you need to be put back together and fixed and made new. So, man, that's what happened to Samaria. They hated them. In fact, when Ezra, at the end of the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah, when they were going back to rebuild the temple, 
The Samaritans, some of them said, hey, we want to help. We want to help. What do you think the Jews said? No way, you half-breed scumbags. You guys are like, you know, you low-class trailer trash. No way. We're not letting you come in. That's literally what the Bible says. They didn't let it come in. So the Samaritans said, all right, game on, bro. It's, it's wartime now. That's where we're going. And they hated each other vehemently. In fact, hey, uh, Steve, if I wanted to totally insult your wife, you know what I'd call her? You Samaritan. <laughs> so if anybody calls you a Samaritan, no, it's not a compliment, okay? Oh, the good one or the bad one? It doesn't matter, dude. You Samaritan, man. <laughs> that was a curse on somebody. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son. That was an important place at one time. Now it was the epitome of debauchery. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus uh, wearied as he was from his journey. Uh, wait a minute. Did I say that right? Get, uh, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, comma, sorry, punctuation is important. Wearied, comma, he was tired. There's his humanity. He was 100% God, 100% man. He was tired. And, and from his journey, he was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. What time's the sixth hour, y'all? Noon. Yeah, I start at six in the morning, so it's noon, dead hot heat, man, and he's tired, and he's sitting there by himself. Where was his disciples, y'all? Y'all read ahead, didn't you? No, I'm just saying. Yeah, his disciples went to go get some lunch. They're probably going to McDonald's, man, and I don't know. They had to pre-manufacture the burgers or something. But anyways, uh, Jesus is sitting by the well. But is he really there to simply get a drink? Why is he there? Because God. Anything that goes on is because of God. He orchestrates it. We get to be part of his plan. It's all because of who? God. You've got to see it from his perspective, no matter what it is. Charlie, if your electronic car blows out after you get your blood tested and your wife's been sitting in the heat for 500 hours and, 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 and your car won't start, who orchestrated that? God. Oh, the devil's been after me. Well, yeah. He, you know what? We blame the, the devil can't do anything to us unless he gets permission from who? God. And God wants to show you where your faith is. God wants to give you an opportunity to become more like him. And then he gets glorified in that. Satan just wants you to grumble and become a grumpy old man and, and, and have a fight with your wife. Not that y'all did that. I didn't see that in my truck. All right, Amen. Amen. So would the story still be as good if two hours later the car didn't start and it's still there today? Yeah, because of who? God, you got to see it from his perspective always, always. So, man, he was sitting beside the will. It was about the six hours. Noon, it's hot. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. So, uh-oh, he's sitting at the well by himself. A woman comes up. And she's from Samaria. What would Jews do if they saw a Samaritan come up? Dude, leave or start a fight. All right, whatever. We're going to, oh, Samaritan, yeah, you know. Uh, again, they hated Samaritans. What did they hate even more than Samaritans, y'all? In reality, you want to talk about women's lib, you knew freed women more than anybody. It's Jesus Christ <laughs> in everything. That in this, the rabbis go back and read. People are like, oh, well, the rabbinical writings say, and they give such honor to the rabbinical writings. Dude, that, a lot of that stuff was straight out of the pit of hell. It's not scripture. The rabbinical writings, they're like, you know what they say about women? 
Oh, a conversation with a woman is at best a waste of time. If you agree with that, man, do not raise your hand right now. I'm just saying. <laughs> and you know you're wrong. All right, there, did I pull my... <laughs> you know you're wrong. But I'm just saying, no, that... And women can say the same thing about men, too. But literally, that was the view of women. A conversation with a woman is at best a waste of time. And that's the nice way they wrote those things. That is how women were looked at. So she's a Samaritan and she's a woman and he's the son of God. Dude, come on, man. Don't waste your time on this. Don't. uh, Come on, man. You can do better than this. If it wasn't for who? And so what society said was the lowest person in the planet, God said was the most important. God loves people. And you know how you can tell? Gavin, we were talking about this because I'm guilty of it. You know how I can tell that I'm not really loving God like I should? How how can I tell? Because I'm not loving people, dude. When I'm driving down the road, when I'm grumbling at tourists, when I'm grumbling at the traffic, I'm grumbling about people, and I'm, oh, or that person, or that person. You know what God's doing? I'm like, oh, God, ah. And you know what God says? If you love me, I cause you to love others. That's the cross, man. Vertical straight of the cross, love God. The horizontal is, uh, is love people. You love God, he causes you to love people. And when you ain't loving people, and y'all, y'all, how many of y'all give your partner, your person, your, the people you're with, permission to let you know that you're not loving God very much next time you grumble about people around him. Would anybody give permission for that? Steve's like, heck no, man. Yeah, you, would you give April permission for that? Not that you have to. She's going to do it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I need that. When I'm grumbling about people, and I'm not joking. Sometimes when I'm joking, I'm really serious, and you all know that. But when I'm grumbling about people, I want you to challenge me. I need you to challenge me because I do get grumpy about, but it's a ind- direct indication of how much I love God. Because if I love God, I know people are made in whose image? God's image. You are never going to look in the eyes of somebody. You might doubt it, but you're never going to look in the eyes of anybody who is not made in God's image. And you're never going to look in the eyes of somebody who is not deeply loved by God. And that's hard to swallow sometimes, Amen. But we got to remember, because that's what the Word of God says. So this low-life, bad Samaritan that the whole world looked at, you could not get lower, especially given her track record. This sinful Samaritan lady. I mean, that's a more than a mouthful right there. What the world's Jesus doing with her? What's he doing? Why is he there? One is God, but if he loves God, he loves... Yeah. So Julie, what does he think about that sinful, wretched Samaritan woman? How to... He loves her, right? He loves her as much as you, as much as me. as Pickleball Ralph, dude. Yeah, man. He loves her. So maybe you're here today and you just think, man, I've blown it. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm... Dude, I don't care where you're at. He loves you. He loves you. And we only love him when we realize what? That he loved us first. We can only love him in relation to how much we know he loves us. You understand this word of God is a book of love letters? 
It's a book of love letters. Man, Chris, can you imagine if Sabrina couldn't talk? You're like, oh, no. You didn't think that was funny, did you? No. Could you imagine if Sabrina couldn't talk? And, and the only way she could really show you she loved you was by writing you letters every day and putting them in your lunchbox and putting them in different stuff. She wrote you love letters every day, and that was the only way she communicated at this point. What would happen if you never read those love letters? You wouldn't know she loved you. This word of God is a love letter, a love letter after love letter after love letter. There is no piece of literature, if I dare call it that, that is more important to know and invest your life in than this piece of literature, which we call the Word of God. But it's not just a piece of literature. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's relevant. You read it. And the, if you're a born-again believer and the Holy Spirit, the author, lives inside of you and makes it come alive and relevant in your situation, the way he's doing um, for Trent right now, out on the boat for some way. We were praying, man. You still praying? You aren't even hearing anything I'm saying. You're just like, oh, God, please don't let Trent drown. No. <laughs> no, it's a good thing. If I know Trent, dude, they are seeing life from God's perspective, and it's awesome. So, man, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. What are you going to do with this woman from Samaria? How many of y'all have ever been in the grocery store, Walmart or Target, if you're not a Walmart person, or how about Walmart if you're a Target person, and, you, and, you're, and you're walking in and, 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 and somebody that you do not want to deal with, you don't even want to know if you want to deal with them. Have you ever had that happen where they kind of walk in? You, you go down an aisle, oh, <laughs> you ever seen that person? And how many of y'all sneak out and go down another aisle or just bolt for your car? <laughs> That's a Samaritan woman. You never meet anybody that God doesn't love deeply. You never meet anybody who isn't made in his image. And every encounter we have is a divine encounter. But we got to see life from God's perspective so we can help others see it that way. Woman from Samaria came to draw water. Uh, she came in noon. We don't really know why noon, but most of the women went to other wells that were closer. They actually went in the evening when it was nice and cool and it was calm and all kinds of, you know, she came in an awkward place, awkward situation because she was an awkward woman. She, she, was a, she, was, she was an outcast. So if you are an outcast, then that's good news. He loves you deeply. He made you unique and he's going to use the experiences you've had once you're born again to use you to help rock other outcast worlds. I'll guarantee you. Woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, hey, give me a drink. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. How many of y'all know, like, when you go up to the intersection, you see the homeless person right there with the sign, I'll work, you know, food, get, anything will help, I'm homeless. Anybody see the people like that? Okay, and you pull up next to them. And I'm not challenging on what you do, and that's not what we're preaching on today or whatever. You do, I will tell you this, what you need to do when you see somebody because Jesus did talk about we're always going to have the poor. You need to pray right then and there and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? Because someone could be a Jonah or a Job, and y'all think about that. But the fact is, you do what God wants you to do with that. But what? how many of you, Julia, would you pull up to that little thing, and you're like, oh, I am so thirsty. And you see that dude has got a, a, a bottle of water right there he's been sucking off of. Would you, Julia, oh, roll down your window and say, dude, let me have a drink of your water. Would you do that? What if God told you to do it? Woo, it better be some great. You would just sin right then and there, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm just saying. But literally, how many of y'all would pull up, you're thirsty, and, and, and you see the dude right there, 
has got a bottle of water he's been sucking on, how many of y'all would ask him for a drink? How many of y'all would say, I do not think there's any chance in the world I'd ask that dude for a drink? Anybody? Yeah. Thank you for being honest there, brother. Yeah. That's equivalent to what Jesus just did. This is a Samaritan. This is a woman who's been with five guys and got another one she's living with because she just gave up on marriage. She's, she, she'll be with anybody, do anything with anybody. You want to drink after her? The other women won't even come to the well with her. And Jesus says, give me a drink. But what Jesus was doing was starting a conversation. The same way he did with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came and he used the new birth. You think you're saved because you're a Jew? You need to be born again because being a Jew isn't enough. That's why he ends up getting, tried, they, tried, they try to kill him later in the next chapter. But he starts a conversation and there's something to learn about evangelism there. It's not about having a canned presentation. It's about knowing that salvation is needed because people are sinners. Salvation's been provided because Christ died on a cross to pay for the sin, and salvation must be accepted. That's it. Salvation is needed. It's been provided. It must be accepted. And, and so here, Jesus is at the well. So what do you think he's going to use for an illustration? How do you think he's going to get a conversation started? What do you think he's going to do to bring it up? Because he's soul conscious. That's what he was there for. He's soul conscious. If you're not going to run, bring it up, but be praying. Say, God, how can I introduce this? How can I bring this up? We need to be soul conscious. Every moment, you understand, every encounter we have is there for us to be soul conscious. We're supposed to see life from God's perspective and know it's soul conscious, and then we're supposed to help others see it that way. Whether they need to be saved or they're already saved and they need some encouragement, whatever, we're supposed to help each other see life from God's perspective. But if we're not soul conscious, we don't do that. Instead, we just pass on, oh, hey, that's a nice mayonnaise. Hey, have you seen the ranch dressing? You know, whatever. Man, God might ask you one day later, dude, what'd you do with that encounter I gave you with that person? And you want to have done what he wanted you to do with it so that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Barb, you got a new store, right? That's cool. That's awesome. What's the name of your store? I'm not going to lose my uh, tax-exempt status by advertising Barb or anything like that. But Barb, you got a new store up here selling all kinds of beach junk. Isn't that like, uh, not junk, but beach treasures, man. It's really cool, eclectic store, right? What's it called? Just beachy? Yeah, and you walk the beach every morning. So if anybody knows the beach and all that stuff, that's you, man. Why did God give you that? Is it to make a bunch of money? Is it just kill some time because I it's something I've always wanted to do? Is that why God did it? You're like, well, I was thinking that was why. No. Why did he give you that store? Are you going to meet people? And, and if you're seeing life from God's perspective, whose perspective are you going to be able to share with them? God's. That's why he gave you that store. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be added unto you. So this, she came to drink water, and Jesus said, hey, give me a drink. <laughs> I want to challenge you. Next time you get next to that homeless dude right there, at this, I don't want you all to get sick or anything like that. But I was like, hey, give, give me a drink. What do you think that guy would say? I don't know. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to share the gospel and share this story. I don't know. But that's how Jesus started. Give me a drink. Now, I'm not saying use that line in the bar. <laughs> I'm not telling you to go to the bar and be a witness, you know, or whatever, unless God tells you. That's not really what we're saying here. Because it says his disciples had gone away to city by food. Um, so in this, everyone needs Jesus. 
even a low-class woman, Samaritan woman, she needs Jesus. And I'm not judging her. I'm just saying that's how society looked at her. So from the lowest person in society to the highest person in society, they need Christ. There's no unrighteousness that His grace can't cover. And there's no righteousness that you have that can get you in. Everyone needs Jesus. Why do we need Jesus? Because everyone is thirsty. Look at the rest of the story. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In other words, how many of y'all, if you pull up to that stoplight, Sam, and say, hey, dude, I seen you sucking on that water. Can I have a sip? (laughs) Do you think there's a chance the dude might answer this way? (laughs) Really? You want a drink of water from mine? Do you know all the diseases I have right now? And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying everybody is that way, but I'm just saying, is there a chance he might say, wow, you really want a drink of water from here? <laughs> she was surprised. She was shocked. And it gave Jesus an opportunity to now present to her the gospel. How is it you, a Jew, he didn't, she didn't know he was the Messiah. How is it you are going to ask a drink from me, a woman, a Samaritan? Dude, they would not, hey, the Pharisees, you know what they would do just so they didn't touch death? This is how ridiculous. They would strain a glass of water so they might be able to catch a dead gnat. When Jesus used that illustration, he was serious. They literally would strain a drink because they couldn't let death touch them. They would strain a drink so if there was a dead bug in it, they wouldn't have to drink that. Not because they didn't want to drink dead bugs, but because they, did, they wanted to be so righteous in the law. How are you a Jew? Does she even know he's Messiah? You want a drink from me? And look what she says. A woman (laughs) of Samaria? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and he said, if you knew the gift of God. Hey, what is the gift of God, y'all? Salvation. Salvation. Eternal life in heaven. Now, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, which is this Messiah, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Hey, y'all remember Nicodemus when he said, Jesus said to him, you got to be born again. Where'd Nicodemus go first, right? What'd he say? What, what am I going to crawl back in my mom's womb or something, right? He took it natural, all right? This is where she's going with it. Uh, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, Uh, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. She doesn't understand this yet. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. (laughs) That's like Nicodemus saying, crawling back in his mom's womb. Sir, you don't even have a water pail. And this well's deep. Where are you going to get this living water? She's again thinking everybody gets their satisfaction from where? From what this world has to offer. That's all she's got. When you're lost, that's the only place you know that you can get satisfaction from is anything that your lost nature can find satisfaction from. She's not born again yet. So he says, she goes and says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well. Well, first of all, there's a question. Are you greater than our, is Jesus greater than the father Jacob? Yeah. She was probably going to say, you know, thinking he's going to say, no, no, all right, you know, but are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus just blew that off and said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Hey, you want to hear something, man? People follow Jesus. Hey, Brad, I see you sleeping right there, man. 
resting. You are just focusing. He wasn't sleeping. I, he wasn't drooling yet. He was just resting his eyes, man. Did you marry Julie for her money, man? You didn't expect that, right? You didn't Did you marry? Would it have been right if you married her for her money? Would that have been right? No. It would have been, how many of y'all think it would be right to marry somebody for their money? And if anybody raises their hand, get a good look at them and <laughs> yeah, don't marry them. All right. <laughs> Yeah, it would be wrong to marry somebody for their money. Why would you marry so Why did you marry her? I, I, I know this is tough when you first wake up. It's a tough question. <laughs> Why'd you marry her, man? Dude, Brownie Point City, right? I'm helping you guys out. Oh, yes. She was something special. Not necessarily her wardrobe or even her cool hair, dude. I so want Tony Alba hair like you, man. But I'm just saying... And Chuck's probably the only one that gets that, right? But I'm just saying, man, it, but, but it's who she is. That's why you fall in love. That's why you get married. That's why you get in a relationship. Not for what they have to offer you, but who they are, amen? So when the modern theology or any theology or this old theology says, oh, hey, come to Jesus because he can fix this or he can fix that or he's going to work that out and he's going to... No, you come to him not because of all of that. He may never work that stuff out and never fix that, never heal that, never solve that. But what you have is a relationship with a living God that could if he knew that was the best thing for you. Look at this, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Hey, so why did most people follow Jesus when he started doing all these miracles? Why did they follow him? They wanted a free piece of what? Bread or fish, right? Woo, I want to see this miracle. Man, I'm, you know what? I hear you can get free food. You come to that revival. Boom, it's like they're going, they wanted it. And, and, and at the, in, in John, you go read John chapter 6. One of the saddest verses in the world, John 6, 66. Go look it up, man. Isn't that a crazy number even? John 66, 666, it says, and most of his disciples left him at that point. You know why? Read prior to that. And he was saying, hey, uh, you guys got to eat my body and drink my blood. If y'all want to be part of me, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. And they were thinking physical again, dude, this dude's getting weird. I'm going to go get bread somewhere else. I've had enough of all this. They didn't understand what he was saying is, man, the way when you eat something and it comes and takes over your body, it affects every part of your body. He said, that's what a relationship with me has got to look like. You take me in and I am your total satisfaction. I am your everything. I've joked about this before. Anybody ever eat bad oysters? <laughs> if you eat bad oysters, you've had bad oysters before? Are you Chuck's sister? All right, nice to meet you, finally. I didn't get to meet you last week. But, but have you ever ate bad oysters or seen somebody eat bad oysters? And what part of their body got affected? Just their stomach? It, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, sister, I did it, and then I took my bad oyster shells back to the dude up in Panacea, and I said, these were bad oysters. Oh, well, these aren't. Here, take these. I'll give you these. And, and I'm saying, everything in me was, no, don't do it, don't do it. But I did it because I like oysters. I ate bad oysters twice. I lost 13 pounds in two days. <laughs> And lived in a bathtub. I'm just saying. <laughs> Woo, it affected every part of my body. And every time I think about Jesus saying, man, eat my body, drink my blood. He says, when you take me in your life, 
You take me in. It isn't just tacking me on as hell insurance or adding me to this little dream you have and letting me... No, I become your entire life because I paid the most anyone could ever pay to purchase you. And you agreed to give me your what? How much of your life? All of it. So if you didn't agree to do that, you didn't get saved. Now, not like bad oysters. They will affect your whole body. But when you take Christ in, dude, he will affect your whole entire life. Amen? And, and so everyone who drinks this water, they're going to be thirsty again. Hey, what happened to everybody that Jesus fed? What happened to them eventually? They got hungry again and they died. Hey, what happened to everybody Jesus healed? They died. <laughs> everyone Jesus performed a miracle on, if that's all you were looking for was a miracle, you got the miracle and then you what? You died. He performed all those miracles, water into wine to show he had authority over that aspect of life. Man, every sea, the, the sea, man, when the disciples were in a storm and he said, peace be still, he was showing he had authority over the weather. Man, he had authority over everything. Every miracle show, I got authority over this, over this, over this, over this, and I got authority over death. So when you die, what are you going to do about it when you die? Steve, is there anything you could do if you're laying there dead right now, and it's just you in your own power, in your own strength, and you're laying dead? What can you do? Right. That's it. So you better have somebody who can bring you back to life again. And that's why he rose also was to show us, if I can do it for me, I'll do it for you. I have authority over everything. If, how many of y'all are trusting him to take your dead body and make you alive again when you die? You trusting him for that? So if you're trusting him for that big old heart thing, why don't you trust him for all the easy stuff you're going through right now? Because it is easy stuff right now. If he can bring your body, if he can raise you from the dead, he can do anything else. Everyone who drinks of this water, man, they're going to be thirsty again. I could, dude, I could give you a fire, man, I could, I could, I could fill you up with water, but that's just going to be temporary satisfaction. He wants to give us fulfillment, and he doesn't want us going back for temporary satisfaction. But whoever drinks of this water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him, and again, he's not talking about physical water, He's, taught, he's using an illustration. They're in a desert. Dude, if you don't get water, you're going to die. It's hot. He's like, I'm going to give you life, man. The water I will give you, will give him, will become in him a what? For those of you lived in Florida before we covered it with concrete and sucked all the water out of the ground with pumps, we used to have things we swam in. <laughs> and they were called what? And man, if you were a kid and you dove down in what? Did any of y'all ever get to dive down in a spring back in the day? Man, diving down. You could never even go against it. The force was so much. It would never end and never. And now they are still trickling. But he's saying, when you find your satisfaction in him, when's it going to end, JT? Is it ever going to run dry? Are they ever going to build and suck all the... No. It's eternal. It's him. You will never run out of satisfaction. So let me ask you a question. What is it that you have found satisfaction in? Man, I know I could go. How about drugs? Oh, yeah. How about pornography? 
How about drinking? Oh, I could go with all those. And how many of y'all are like, whoo, good, he didn't hit me yet. <laughs> how about shopping? All right, Amazon. <laughs> how about eating? And don't you be judging, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying, what do you go to for satisfaction? How about a relationship? Oh, when I find that right person, when I, when I, and if you're already in a relationship and you're married, it's the one you're with. I'm just telling you right now. Don't be coming to me and say, oh, God wants me to marry this other, but no, no, what God, no. But I'm just saying, what do you find your satisfaction in? What is it that you can go to and you're like, oh, Calgon, take me away. And let me ask you a question. Is it, how many of y'all didn't even get that? Calgon, take me away. You're so young. You never, you're like, TV commercials about something other than drugs and the side effects of it? Wait a minute, no. <laughs> but, but seriously, what is it that you go to for relief? What is it that you go to like, ah, oh. you know, I deal with a lot of people with addictions, a lot, a lot, a lot of different addictions, and they're not the ones you think always in this. And I'm going to tell you this, I've told everybody this over and over again, and, and, and it's easy to quit. It's easy to quit. You've had enough of the consequences, enough of the troubles, enough of the, you, you're done, I quit. You know what's the hard part? Not doing what? Not starting again. That's it. What is it that makes you want to start again? And you're like, oh, why are you preaching on this, pastor? I don't do any of that. No, no, no. There's something you go to, I bet, that you go to all the time for comfort. It's your little relief. It's your, it's your, it's, it's your God. If you go to anything other than God, it's idolatry. And you go check that against God's word. God should be our drug. God should be where we go. Because that's what he's saying, man. He's saying, if you will come to me. He said, you come to me, I'm going to give you this water. And, and in you, it will become a spring of water welling up to what? Does he say? He's going to well up to what? eternal life it's forever and eternal life's not just a quantity of life it's a quality of life so i want to challenge you it could be something as simple as a ziploc bag of gummy worms <laughs> which i tried to bribe my granddaughter to go poo poo and pee pee on the potty i'd give her gummy worms if she'd do it she's like oh a whole bag and i'm like yeah i'm gonna make you little bags but she still didn't do it going in her diaper is more important to her at this point in life i'm just saying it's like but again, what is it? It could be gummy worm. It could be whatever. I'm just saying, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you find your comfort in that's other than Him. And it's not to make you feel bad. Because whatever it is you're finding your comfort in, other than Him, it is idolatry. And it's not satisfying. It's only going to last a certain amount of time. That's what He's saying. So ask the Holy Spirit, show me. God, next time, I need to go to that. I need to go to this. And it could be something huge. It could be something little, whatever. But what if you could replace that with him? Then guess what? You're never going to be thirsty. You know why everybody needs Jesus? It's because everybody's thirsty. Everybody who's not saved needs Jesus because they're thirsty for salvation. You got salvation, but we're still thirsty for what the world has to offer. Every time you want to get, man, smoking cigarettes. All right, I'll pick on the big one that everybody used to talk about. You know what I did? You remember those little Gideon's Bibles? Charlie, you remember them Gideon's Bibles? Y'all gave those little things out, right? They are about the exact same size of a pack of cigarettes. And one day I was in there, somebody's like, oh, I just can't quit smoking. I'm like, well, I had to tell God, kill me if I ever do it again. You know, my mom died a long time, all this. But anyways, 
I, I saw it up there, and I told the guy, I said, Nick, every time you go to pick up a cigarette, I want you to grab this instead. In fact, I want you to put this little Bible where you keep your cigarettes. I want you to pull it out every time, and I want you to open it up. And guess what? I found that worked not for cigarettes, but for everything. Everything. Open up the Word of God and said, I'm not going to, I'm wrestling with you, God. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And you read and you read and you read and you pray while you're reading. And before long, your desires have changed for whatever it is. And now you're finding comfort and satisfaction in Him. You see why I couldn't preach this couple weeks ago? He's been working on me, and that's what I'm doing. Holy Spirit, show me every time I'm reaching for something else to bring me satisfaction. Maybe it's a good deal on eBay on a Swiss Army knife. Yes, I'm that weird. <laughs> Whatever it is, let the Holy Spirit take you to a point where you want only Him and you will always be satisfied. Amen? No, I like this right now. I like it the way it is. Well, good. That's, that's what he's saying about this woman. He said, man, it's a spring. Once you get this, how many of y'all got it? How many of y'all got it? You got it. Now he says, use it. It's a spring coming up in you for, forever. And it's a quality that you're going to get that you're not going to get from the things of this world. The woman said to him, dude, give me some of this. How many of y'all would say that to him? Oh, it's free. Give me some. He's like, okay, I'll give you some. But before you really understand that you need some, he asked her some questions. He said, sir, give me some of this water so I won't be thirsty or have to come here and draw this water again. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Whew. Go call your husband and come. What? What? Yeah. The woman said, I don't have a husband. I don't have any husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. I have no, in saying I have no husband. So he's agreeing with her on that. But he said, you've had five husbands. Because that's what you've been looking for your satisfaction in. You've been looking for your fulfillment and your satisfaction. You've been trying to satisfy your thirst with a relationship with some guy. Oh, yeah, man. Well, you, man, it was satisfying at first. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't have kept drinking there. But all of a sudden, it's not satisfying anymore. And that's what happens when we're satisfied in anything except for Christ. It, 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 it takes more to be satisfied, and, and the return on investment is less. The satisfaction is less. Whether you're talking about drugs or trying to be satisfied in a relationship. He said, yeah, you, you've, even, you've even gave up. You tried five times. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've tried five times on, on the whole marriage thing. But I'm just saying, if you tried five times and you quit on the fifth one, you're kind of you're throwing the towel and saying, yeah, that's not where it's at. Now she says... He said, yeah, so you've given up on marriage, but you're still looking for satisfaction in another person because now you're just living in sin with somebody. And that is what he's saying. God invented marriage, and I don't care what your tax purpose is, what your, what your kid purpose is. I don't care what your purpose for living together is, but it's wrong. It's adultery. Oh, we're not having sex. It doesn't have to be sex. God created it so there's a commitment where a man and a woman are married together and they live together and two become one. Anything short of that is sin. He said, you gave up on the right way and, and now you're trying to do it a, a totally different way. I'm not blessing this anymore. I'd bless a crack stand that you were asking the church to pray for. It's sin. I'm not blessing this. And, and, and you see how unsatisfying it is. So again, that's why I'm challenging you. Ask God to show you what things you, you may not be looking for satisfaction in the same thing as her, 
But whenever we're looking for satisfaction in anything but Christ, it's going to let us down, and he will never do it. And the goal of sanctification here is becoming more and more and more like him, and then he gets the glory. So look for satisfaction in him. So he said, well, yeah, what you said is true. The one you have now is not even your husband. So everyone needs Jesus because everyone's thirsty. You who are saved, you don't just need him for salvation. You need him for sanctification because you're thirsty. How many of y'all are thirsty for things other than Christ? Can I see your hand? If you're not asleep, let me see your hand. <laughs> yeah. If you are asleep, raise it up and that'll wake you up for just a little bit longer here. All right. That's really how he's been speaking to me, man, showing me what are you sat, what's bringing you satisfied, what's quenching your thirst in this world, because whatever you're using, I got something way better. I got something way better. So what he says in the end and what he shows, the proof's in the pudding, Christ is the only one who can truly satisfy our thirst. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. All right, everybody take your hand. Whoever's playing with me, take your hand and go, duh. <laughs> all right <laughs> sir i perceive you're a prophet <laughs> again you could take this two ways you could take one like she's trying to like she's nervous and trying to get out of it but we have all the indication in the world that she gets born again right here in this in this next scenario and people haven't heard from god in over 400 years she wasn't even like nicodemus that knew all the things jesus and john the baptist and all of that she's been in podunk little samaria this is the first time man you're some spy. What did Nicodemus say? When Nicodemus came up to Jesus, he said, hey, we know that you've come from God because you're just doing some weird things. You're doing, you're just different. She's saying the same thing. I perceive you're a prophet. Dude, there's something special about you. I wonder when people meet you, if they know that you are from God because they perceive a different countenance. They see a different perspective because it's God's perspective. The more we see life from God's perspective, the more we can help others see life from God's perspective. But she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You're from God. What you're telling me, I, I'm, it's testifying in my heart. It's true. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship? In other words, for them, was worship internal or external, y'all? External. And sometimes we like to make it external, but Jesus came. Well, isn't that what the, Rome, they, the, the Jews wanted? They wanted somebody to come in and kick Roman tail and put them in charge. And he said, no, I want to save, I want to rescue your heart. I want to work on you from the inside out, and then it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. And they didn't like that too much. She said, you know, look, okay, so religious-wise, we build a temple here, and you can go study the history in First and Second Kings about all of that. And, you know... Man, we're supposed to worship on this mountain. You say here, where do I have to go to get right with God? That's really what she's saying. Where do I have to go to get right with God? He said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In other words, it's not going to be about this place or that place. It's not going to be whether you're at church on Sunday or you're at Walmart on Monday or Target on Tuesday or work on Wednesday. It's not about the location because it's internal. It's not external. Believe me, the hour's coming when neither this mountain nor Jerusalem will be the place to worship the Father. You worship what you don't know because the Samaritans basically only had the first five books of the Bible. They said, that's it. The Jews had the whole thing. And he says, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. 
Jews messed up by saying, well, salvation is from us, and that was why God gave Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Jesus. They were going to bring us the Messiah, but they thought since they were bringing him, only they had him. And he's, he's dispelling all of this for them. But he said, yeah, we, we worship what we know. From the word it says, salvation's from the Jews. But the hour's coming, and it is here now, because I'm the Messiah, I'm here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Notice that spirit's not capitalized here, because it's not really talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about you internally doing it, not externally. Can you go through a bunch of religious rituals and act like you're worshiping God? Yeah. This is about internally, moment by moment, situation by situation, worshiping God by trying to see it from his perspective. So he said, there, there, there's going to be, uh, the hour's coming, it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, which is what you don't have. You guys have so screwed up the Word of God. You're going you're gonna to do it internally, and it's going to look like what the Word of God says it will look like. That's the only truth we have. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Barb, i got to pick on you again. Remember when you told me how many years ago or whatever? I think God's pursuing me. That's what this is. You think this woman was feeling pursued by God? Yeah. God's got to pursue you. When he pursues you, what do you do? You give him it all. You give in. Because nothing you have is worth anything more than a total relationship with him. Man, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him it uh, must worship in spirit and truth. Remember what he told Nicodemus? He said, you can't experience the kingdom of God unless you're born again. It's a spiritual thing, now, not, not some external thing. You can't get into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You have to be born spiritual. You can't experience it carnally. God's spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's an internal thing. Charlie, I'm picking on you again. It's worshiping when the car breaks down. And I'm saying that you did. I've seen you guys. It's worshiping when things don't go the way you want them to go. It's worshiping them, Chuck, when somebody steals your two boards off your friend's front yard after a hurricane swell. And you decide it's not worth your peace, so you don't have your whole posse go after and put a death sentence on them like you would have in the past. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Ch uh, uh, Sam is still like, I can't believe that happened, man. <laughs> you want me to go after him, Chuck? I'll do it, but no. Uh, yeah, it, how many of y'all have had those situations? It's Man, you worship him from the inside. It's not worth your peace. It's not worth your love. It's not worth your joy. You'd rather have all that and do what he wants you to do. When you think the devil's attacking you, he might be. But he's not doing it unless God gives him permission and God's giving you a chance to see it from his perspective and be like him. And when JT is like God, oh, not only his wife freaks out, but everybody freaks out because they know it is God and not JT. Right? And I'm not saying most of the time you are that way. Most of the time. Where's your wife at? Would you say most of the time? Right now, because he's sitting next to you. JT, go away and let's hear a real answer. No, but no, but that's it. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him internally and do what God's word says to do. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount was about. The woman said to him, 
all right, I know this, and I don't even know how I know it. <laughs> he didn't tell us how she knows it. He said, I, I know that the Messiah is coming. I, I, I believe, hey, who gave her, Emily, who gave her the ability to believe the Messiah was coming? God, yeah. So God has already been working in her heart. She said, I, I believe the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. So she believes when the Messiah comes, he's going to reveal everything she needs to know to him, to her. So when she finds out that the Messiah is actually sitting right in front of her, she's going to believe what he said because she already has that ability. I know the Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ, and when he does come, he's going to reveal to me everything. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In fact, in the original Greek, he just says, I am. It's one of the I am statements. I am God. So at that point, based on her previous statement, I believe she got saved right there. That was it. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> I, 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 you're, I'm giving you my entire life right now. Just then, his disciples came back. Hey, check out God's timing. Hey, hey Russ, God's timing. What if, this, what if the disciples would have came back two minutes earlier? Yeah, it would have messed up the whole thing. He, he just now said, I am he. I am the Messiah. If they had come back earlier, God's timing is impeccable. Right then, right there, bam. He's the Messiah. Now the disciples come back. We're not going to go into everything that they said, but they marveled that he was talking with a who? Oh, my. No, first a woman. <laughs> Dude, at best. <laughs> Remember what the Pharisees At best, it's a waste of time. At worst, it's a big bunch of trouble is what they looked at. And I don't agree with them, so don't come after me, all right? <laughs> they marvel. He was talking with a woman. And look at this. No one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? If they didn't say it, but they bring it up, where was it? It was in their mind, right? They were thinking it. If you're thinking spiritually, you might even say to her, hey, what are you looking for? Ma'am, do you need something? you bring it out. How many times have you thought, I should share the gospel with this person? I should talk to this person. But it, only get, it doesn't get any further than your mind. That's what happened with the disciples. And Jesus goes into a little dissertation later in this chapter. We're not going to cover it. You can read it on your own. Of like, dude, harvest is ready, dude. If it comes to mind, I'm bringing it there. You let it get out of your mouth. That's what you need to do. But what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? They, they, they need to ask some questions, but they just... Leave it just in their mind. So look at this. The woman left her water jar and went away into town. She left her water jar. How many water jars do you think she had? In, in life. One probably. Why'd she leave her water jar? It didn't matter anymore. Maybe, you know, maybe it was full and it was for Jesus. Maybe she knew she was coming right back to bring some more people. But yeah, the most important thing in her life wasn't the water jar now. <laughs> it was now who? Jesus. She went into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. They're like, well, that's no big deal. We could have told you that. Yeah, but this guy didn't know me. This guy had detail. This guy, man, he told me, he is supernatural. He told me everything I did and I confessed it and I brought it to him. And, and, and he told me, man, it's like, so it wasn't just about predicting her future or her past or whatever. He took a special way to reveal himself to her that he was the Messiah by letting him know, I know everything about you. 
What if he would have just come to her and said, hey, you just need to give your life. Well, you don't understand who I am. I can't do that because here's my past. He started with her past and said, I love you in spite of your past. I want to rescue you from your past. I want to take you to a new present that doesn't include your past. I, I want, I'm going to give you a new life that's going to be satisfying. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And again, what if this woman of ill repute, let's just call her that, or let's just call her an immoral woman, been married five times, she uh, uh, is living with some dude right now, and back in, I mean, the penalty in the Jews thing for adultery was stoning, but, you know, they weren't upholding any of that. And so she comes back and says, she starts preaching to him. What would they say? Get out of here. But she says, hey, here's what happened. And you know what? That's how, what you are. How many of y'all know that you were called to be a lawyer for Christ? You're a lawyer. You're supposed to know the word and present a case. You work on that case and present the case. And, and, and Deborah, you tell people, boom, 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 here's Jesus. Are you, are you a lawyer or are you called to be a witness? What's the difference between a lawyer and a witness? A lawyer presents a case, but what, Dave, what does a witness do? Just tells people what he's done. This is what I know. This is what she did for me. Some of y'all got devils got you scared thinking you're supposed to be a lawyer when all you're supposed to do is be a witness. How many of y'all know God's done something for you? You share that. And nobody can deny what he's done for you, Sam, right? No one can deny that. You know it's true. They saw it. They know it's true. Come see a man who told me all I ever do. Can this be the Christ? You got to come and decide. So guess what happened? They went out of the town and were coming to him. <coughs> Many Samaritans from that town believed. Hey, believed. Not believed. Not just said, oh yeah, that's Christ. Let's don't do it. No, they believed. They put all their faith and trust in him. They got saved. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, that's the Messiah. Let's go get some free. No, they put all their faith. They decided they were tapping into him for all their satisfaction. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So something's going on, I believe. And, and they, but, but what was the real proof? Was it what she said? Where's the real proof? Do you think her life changed? Even instantly. You, you think she acted a little different? Somebody who's coming in, who's pretty raunchy, all of a sudden now, they're right. I mean, there's a difference in their countenance. That's why they believed. She changed. No one can deny when your life changes. So when the Samaritans came to him, they said, uh, they asked him to stay with them. Dude, if you don't drink out of Samaritan's cup, you certainly don't stay with a Samaritan. You don't sleep in their bed. You don't go in their house. You don't eat their food. You don't, it's unclean. It's unclean. It's unclean. According to who? The Jewish religion that Jesus came to prove, tell them they were wrong. He said, no, salvation's open to everyone. Anybody can be saved. Everybody needs to be saved because everybody's thirsty and I'm the only one who can quench their thirst or satisfy it. They asked him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They got saved. They gave their life to him. Then they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. To share this illustration, I'll be done. Um, I know I've shared it before, but the Holy Spirit just put it in my mind right now, and I've got to share it with you. 
Here's what your spiritual life is right now if you're saved. You're a student in a classroom, and God has given you a test that you cannot pass. You have impossible tests that there's no way you can pass, and he gives you that test. How many of y'all can identify right now you've got a test right now that in your own flesh there's no way you can pass? It's too hard. I don't know the answers. I don't. But the teacher now is standing right behind you as you take the test. And the teacher says, for every question, I want you to ask me what the answer is. And I'm going to tell you. So here you are taking this test that you know you can't pass. And you're like, oh, question one. Oh, is it A, B, C, D? I don't. Teacher, is it A, B, C, or D? And the teacher looks down and says, it's A. And he gives you the answer. You got a choice now. One, you had a choice whether you could actually ask him or, or whether you would ask him or not. And you did. That's good. A lot of times we just write down stuff because we think it's right instead of asking him. But we write down, what should you write down? If the teacher says the answer is A, what should you write down, Jeff? A. Do you always write down A when the teacher says it's A and it's Jesus is the teacher? You do not. <laughs> no. How many of y'all ever write down C because it makes more sense? How many ever write down B because it seems easier? Sometimes A isn't really easy, but the teacher said the answer is A. I don't want to do that. It's harder. It doesn't make sense. But you know the teacher said answer is A. So what do you write down? A, you circle it. How many of y'all ever asked the teacher, what's the answer to question number one? And the teacher didn't say anything back to you yet. And the teacher still didn't say anything back to you. And still didn't say anything back to you. Why didn't he say anything back to you? He wants you to build some what? How many have a problem with patience? <laughs> and he's working on that. How many of you answer the question before waiting for the teacher to really give you the answer? So here's the way it's supposed to really work. It's a test that you cannot pass. You cannot pass it. And, 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 and that's why God puts these impossible situations in our life. That's why you go and pray, oh, dear God, take this test away, take it away. He's like, no, no, I want to bless you with it. Don't, don't ask me to take, okay, I'll take it away and I'll give it to somebody else. Whew, oh, and you think you're in good shape. No, you didn't grow. He wants you to take the test. And teacher, what's the answer? And he doesn't answer yet. Teacher, what's the answer? Teacher, what's the answer? And you wait. And when do you write the answer down? When do you write the answer down? When he gives it to you. And then when he gives it to you, you got to write the answer he told you to write down. And guess what? You do that with every question on the test. And all of a sudden, you go sit down, and the teacher comes up with the test, and it's like, and Eddie got a 100 on this test. And everybody's like, he cheated. There's no way Eddie got a 100 on this test. And yeah, you're right. There's no way Eddie got it. And they're like, how did you do it after class? How did you do this? You're not 100. Did you have the answers in your pocket? Did you, how'd you cheat? How'd you do this? Like, I didn't cheat. I made a, the teacher made a deal with me that, that he would stand behind me and I could ask him for the answers. Well, that's not fair. And I'm like, I know, but it worked. <laughs> well, why, it is fair because you know what, Steve, if you want the same deal, I can introduce you to that teacher. And Rena, if you want that same deal, I can introduce you to that teacher. Anyone who wants that deal, I can introduce you. I can't give you the answers, but I can introduce you to the one who wants to give you the answers. And if you'll ask him, and you will wait, 
and you'll write down what he says to write down, you will get a hundred. And when you get a hundred, the world's going to be blown away, aren't they? <laughs> and then he gets the glory. That's what our sanctification's about. Find your satisfaction in him, y'all. He's the only one who can satisfy your thirst. If you're not saved, give up on everything you're doing to find satisfaction. Even anything in the future you think that's going to work, give up on it. It's not going to work. All you who are saved, tell them on the count of three, it's not going to work. One, two, three. Yeah, it's not going to work. But for all of you that are saved, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you're trying to find satisfaction in something or someone else. And repent of it and have the patience to find that true satisfaction in only Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for giving this Word. Father, I pray that it spoke to others in every way that they need it spoken to. That's not my job, that's Yours. But Father, I know what You've shown me and how You've just even done some things to change things in my life through studying this, through looking at it. And Father, I want You to reveal to each of us the areas of our life, the moment when it happens where we're trying to find satisfaction in something other than you. And at that point, teach us how to find satisfaction in you. Because it's a satisfaction that will truly satisfy and it will continue to satisfy. And there's no bad with it in your economy. Father, it will last. Because that's what we're going to experience in heaven is that true satisfaction forever. Help us get a taste of it now. And again, if there's somebody that needs to give their life to Christ, there's no magic prayer, magic words. They just need to surrender all they know about themselves to all they know about you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.